Good morning. My name is Melissa Hunter Davis, founder of Sugarcane Magazine, and this is This Week in Caribbean Art and Culture. And I'm here with the best hostesses in the world, starting with Susie. Hi, everyone. Morning. Suzanne Fredericks here, art consultant, advisor based in Kingston, Jamaica. And Maria. Hi, I'm Maria Ortiz, creator, writer based in Miami. Maria, you were in Chicago. Yes. So have you gone to Expo Chicago? So you're there for Expo Chicago. What have you seen? What should we pay attention to in the upcoming months? So I'm here for Expo Chicago, uh, participating in a couple of programs. And yesterday I was able to get a sneak peek as part of one of the programs that I'm participating in. The Norton Trust is very generously donating $10,000 to buy a book of art in the Expo Social section of Expo. So um, for the museum that I work at, Perez Art Museum Miami. So I was able to do a sneak peek and the fair really, I mean, things were not, you know, people were still kind of putting the lights and <laughs> finishing a lot of little touches. But uh, what I saw was fantastic. Like, I really think that the fair looks beautiful. Uh, even what I saw, right? Um, there was a lot of, well, first and foremost, I'm staying at a hotel here at the 21C where they have a lot of, they have a really cool show up. And also their collection is up and, you know, there's beautiful Nick Cave, but also uh, Korean artists. So April Bay is all over, you know, and I know that her name has come up for all the listeners that are wondering. I think we're dropping hints about April in all episodes almost. So there was some really good works here. And also at the fair, you know, they have this beautiful, Monique Veloz has beautiful paintings by a Puerto Rican artist called uh, Candida Alvarez. She is one of those artists that's been working for, based here in Chicago, has worked for a while, a long time. And, you know, you know the story, like women artists that it's not um, often recognized, especially if you're a woman of color. And now she's been getting some attention and her works are exquisite. And in Monique's gallery, there's also a really beautiful installation by the one and only Ebony Patterson. So, um, so that that's also neat. Um, and overall, there's you know there's a gallery in Bajada, who's another artist from Puerto Rico, and uh, Spinello Projects. So just shouting out my Miami peeps has uh, Jared McGrath and others on view. So I'm gonna today look at the fair more thoroughly. But um, the fair looks great, and there's like Mariani Rahim Gallery also has a really great booth. Of course, Kavi Gupta mm-hmm. and. Rana, Rana Hoffman as well. So I'm excited to go today and see the show um, finalize because, yeah, the, the fair looks really, really cool. And a big shout out to Kendra Walker. Kendra writes for Sugarcane. We have a fantastic series that she is doing soon um, with us as well. She is there doing the Black Art Experience at Art Expo Chicago. Really big deal. Um, I did one of her talks just to introduce um, the concept and to introduce the platform. And it was so interesting because there were a lot of people who had not heard of Expo Chicago, um, some that maybe heard of it, but didn't know much about it. So she's introduced a whole new group of people to the Expo, bringing a new audience, hopefully a new audience of buyers. So shout out to Kendra for all of her hard work. If you happen to run into her, tell her hello. I said that I was going to introduce the two of you and I want to do that before the day is over with. Um, She has a a couple of dinners I would love for you guys to meet. You will really like her. Kendra is really fun. That'll be great. 
That would yeah. be great, yeah. So before we um, move on, Susie, um, we do want to take a moment to um, just say a few words and give honor to someone who passed away on April 2nd. Um, I'm sorry, it was posted on April 2nd, but she passed on March 31st. And that was F. Marina Diaguilar. Um, mm -hmm. If I did not pronounce that correctly. Um, she, along with her late husband, Vincent, were the founders of the Diaguilar Art Foundation. Um, they had a large collection of Bahamian arts and they were very active in the Bahamian arts scene. It is very difficult when you lose someone who is such an advocate for your work and for your country. When you have people like that, you know, in your corner, you definitely want to um, protect them and, and, and make sure that, you know, they have everything that they need to do their work and that you're of value to them. So it was very sad that we have lost um, such a great woman, someone who is, has done so much work for the arts, but we are um, hopeful that her children will um, keep up the foundation. Um, those who work with the foundation will keep the foundation going and that um, others who may have been inspired by her advocacy continue to, to carry the torch. So mm -hmm. we're very sorry to not only to the country of Bahamas, but also for those Bahamian art collectors and artists who have worked with her in the past. Um, and we send you all of our sympathy and all of our love. Completely chime in there with you, Melissa. It's a real loss when you have that generation who really understood patronage and connoisseurship and legacy. Um, but the upside is that she, they, as a couple, they have, they have formed a foundation. The collection is housed in a particular way. And, you know, I think one of the daughters does run the foundation and seems very committed. So they, you know, I mean, it's a really wonderful legacy to leave behind you in a life obviously very well lived. Yes. And so you're right. Um, Saskia Diaguilar is yes. one of the, the daughters and she runs a foundation. So I'm not sure if they accept donations, if they're accepting flowers, um, but if any of you have the opportunity to just visit their website, it's a diaculafoundation.com, visit their website, um, send a note of condolence, um, even if that means that in part of your collecting this year, that you make sure that you collect work by Bahamian artists, um, make a loan or donation um, to the, um, the Museum of the Bahamas, that would be something that I think would, would be heartwarming and a wonderful thing to contribute to that legacy. So happy news, happy news, happy news. Susan <laughs> found some dope things this week. What's going on? Yeah, there's quite a lot going on. Um, there are some interesting shows opening. So Nari Ward, uh, Lehman Mopin have just um, announced a, a solo show with Nari opening on the 28th of April um in new york um we also have ada m patterson a really wonderful emerging artist from barbados um who will be having her first solo show i believe um at copperfield gallery in london um and michael mcmillan did this really wonderful talk at the museum of the home about his um installation the west indian living room which has had a very it, it's the kind of work that has longevity, it's installed in different kind of exhibitions. It was in the Tate exhibition, which is kind of what gave it new impetus for a younger generation as well. Um, and that was a really wonderful talk, talking about diaspora, 
and place and belonging and you know this this kind of fracture a lot of a lot of people in the diaspora um, live in. Um, April Bay will be opening at Turn in the Bahamas. She will be having a solo show there, and the work looks incredible. I mean, following her on IG, just the materiality of the work itself, um, I always find fascinating. Um, and that that sums it up. I mean, there was there was a work at auction, which was quite interesting in the Swan auctions, the Black American Art auction. Did any of you follow that? I didn't, but I believe they sent over a press release stating what's sold. So can you tell us a little bit about the piece that was at auction? Right, well, it was interesting. They had a couple of Frank Bowlings. I'm thinking of Caribbean, you know, um, heritage and place. Um, so they had a couple of Frank Bowling drawings, which I thought was very interesting. Two Belkis Aeons, which were, oh, I'm, you know, I'm, oh, I've got my alert set for Belkis, <laughs> you know. And interestingly, they had an Alvin Marriott um, work, uh, which was, I can't remember the title of it. Let me just look here. And, you know, Alvin Marriott, his work doesn't come to auction often, and he didn't produce a lot in his lifetime, but the work is absolutely exquisite. Um, and it was interesting. It went up for above estimate and um, it, was, it was very interesting to watch and I wish I could have, you know, bid on it myself. Um, let me look here. It was estimated between five and seven. I think it went for six, five in the end. And it was called, it was, it was untitled, Head of a Man. Um, provenance was a private collection in Connecticut so it was a US based work um, but I thought that was interesting how the Caribbean is being subsumed into the black American kind of genre within that market in the US it was just an interesting it was just an observation I was just surprised to see them there um, but I think all did all did well in the auction um, does, does it have the results of either Belkis or Frank Bowling in the press release? Yeah. So for Belkis, um, the Colograph from 1998 yeah. went for 40000 Mm-hmm. These actually, I'm kind of surprised. So I'm not surprised that Caribbean artists are mixed in with African-American artists. In the United States, if you're Black, you're Black. <laughs> so... Or if it doesn't matter, they, they, we all get lumped into that same box. Mm -hmm. um, so that's not surprising to me. But Frank Bowling is not here, which doesn't mean that it didn't sell. It just right. I know they both sold, but maybe they, they sold within estimate, which is why they wouldn't um, necessarily be included. And Belkis is more like the hot topic these days as a recently discovered artist by the first world, I would say. So yeah, they just didn't mention it, um, but but what they sent top lots buyers premium. So they didn't send everything, but we did have that, and nothing. I wanted else. to at some point, you know, this buyers premium um, kind of practice. It keeps going up. <laughs> I remember the days when there was no buyers premium. The seller paid the commission to the auction house, and then they brought in the buyers premium, and it just keeps going up from like. 15%, 20%, 25% was the last section. Apparently now it's like 28%. And I, I just find it shocking. And I just find it really 
mystifying how people can afford to buy work at value, you know, um, at auction and then pay that on top as well as shipping and insurance. It must add like a, I don't know, 30, 35% to the selling price. Uh, so those Frank Bowling pieces, one sold for $9,375, mm-hmm. another one sold for 4750 See what I mean about having two people in the room that want the same work? <laughs> Auctions are so much fun. I need to pay more. Damn. Excuse me. Um, so in a nutshell, I mean, that's it. Artnet, Artnet had a series this week, a two-day conference this week. Um, I think it was a members program. Okay. And they had a very interesting panel on the Caribbean. And it was really looking at... The idea of resilience, I mean, you know, in the Caribbean, we face climate change, we face like, you know, the global south challenges of inequity and access and all these kind of issues. Um, but very real climate change issues and, and social issues. And it was really interesting because the whole conversation was about, you know, the Caribbean, the Caribbean being or becoming, we're in a constant state of becoming, um, of resilience and how to, how to think outside the box, how to think about new models, what works in a space like this, which is not going to be traditional models, et cetera. And I, that was a very interesting talk. I'm hoping they will put them online for public access at some point. But I thought it was interesting that um, the Caribbean had its own panel. You know, that, that's a first, <laughs> as far as I'm aware. So I don't think anybody will get a chance. Oh, will they? I think we'll be able to hear this soon. Okay, so there was someone on that particular panel, Chris Cozier? Chris Cozier, yeah. Yeah. He runs Alice Yard in Trinidad, and he's also a fantastic artist and thinker. Yeah, Yeah. and a kind of beacon, right, in uh, Caribbean, contemporary Caribbean art. Like, he's really like a wealth of knowledge. He was in the Charger Biennial. He's been in Documenta. Um, He's going to be in Documenta again, I believe, this year. Okay. Yeah, there we go. I mean, Chris is just like like um, Maria says, he's just like this leading light. He's a huge inspiration to a lot of emerging artists in the region as to how to cultivate a career outside of a market, so to speak. I mean, he has his market, of course, but his his work is highly conceptual in a lot of ways. Sometimes it's very, you know, installation based and it's all about the ideas. I mean, he's, he's, a, very, he's, a, he's a very interesting thinker. So he will be speaking... April 14th at ICA Miami. Um, and it's a virtual conversation, so you can join in from all over the world. I think you can visit icamiami.org or .com, um, go to events, and you'll be able to, to sign up for this. I have a link here I signed up to, to be a part of this. So if you didn't get a chance, if you weren't a part of the ArtNet conversation, you'll be able to hear him speak again. So. Well, let me just put in there at ICA in Miami. Also, they're having Claudia Rankine, who yeah. is a, yes, who's uh, talking about the, the title is The Fragility and Possibility of Us in Caribbean Art, which I think would be fascinating. But is it a ticket-based event? I mean, will it be streaming? Do you know? Because I, I went to register yesterday and I, I couldn't find a, a streaming link. I think that's an in-person, uh, in-person event. Yeah, I don't like this, this revert to just in-person only. <laughs> only um, because if you're not there, you can't, you can't hear such interesting conversations. You know, it seems a shame. 
Um, I think it's, it's become very difficult to live stream for some people because it can be cost prohibitive. Um, and probably some of the folks who do it here because it was so popular are probably charging a lot. <laughs> so that may be why, right. or they may be in an area where you just can't do that because I'm not sure where that event is going to be. But I was a little surprised too, that they wouldn't, um, that they wouldn't I also, live stream. I also, you know, it might not be the case of the ICA, but for some organizations they, you know, nonprofits often they have very small staff. So the staff cannot do both. They cannot like do this and the other thing. Like you need okay. to do. So that's also sometimes like a, a people constraint. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. All of all the good reasons why to donate to your local institution. So what does that yeah. mean? <laughs> exactly. You to who? So now that I'm I'm with Mocha North Miami, you're gonna give to Mocha North Miami. We're gonna give yes. where do we send our donation, Susie? A National Gallery of Jamaica would be a good place and NLS, New Local Space, uh, does a fantastic emerging artist program and are always in need of support. Yes. And, and Pam. Yeah, yes. Go ahead. And Pam, of course. Pam. We think of Pam as like, you know, well-funded and happy. <laughs> but you're right. And a very important institution and should be supported by donations as well. Yeah. yeah. Send your donations to Pam. <laughs> so, all of these organizations that you should send money to. Hi, Susan. Welcome. Hi. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. Um, for our listeners, Susan Maines is here to discuss the Grenada Pavilion at this year's Venice Biennale. So I'm going to do a short intro on Susan just to give her some context. And, uh, and then we'll go into an interview about what's happening with her. So Susan is a self-taught artist with a formal background in education. For over 30 years, she's explored paint, installations and the intricacies of the Caribbean in landscapes, social interactions and people. She's exhibited worldwide, and in 2020, she was awarded with the British Empire Medal from Queen Elizabeth for services to art. She has been the commissioner for the Grenada Pavilion at the Biennale for five consecutive editions, and has also curated other international exhibitions for Grenada. She believes that art has social and economic power, but just like any other natural resource, needs investment for the, re for the rewards to be fully realized. There you go. The fifth, uh, the fifth year in a row, Susan. So my first question is: is one, how did this all begin for you in Grenada? The idea of Grenada going to an event like Venice Biennale, which has a really kind of cemented hierarchical structure of nations, you know, um, as a small nation, developing island state, as we're kind of called in the development world. Um, how did that come to you and what was it? Let me just ask what the first edition was like. <laughs> well, let me start before the first edition, because mm -hmm. really the art, the international art presentation in Grenada is driven by artists. Uh, we do not have strong institutions in Grenada for art. Um, so way back 15 years ago, our minister of education, Clarice Charles, was a minister who was interested in art. And at that point, we were looking to get some of Grenada's artists invited to the Cuba Biennale. And she took two artists, myself and Sulin Lao Chitong, on a survey trip to Cuba for the Biennale in 2007. 
And so that was just the first um, seedlings of how is this done and how do mm-hmm. we connect to the network and so on. So after that, we had a Cuban curator come to Grenada because, you know, Cuba has really been recognized as the, you know, premier Biennale in the Caribbean for many years. Yeah. So we thought, okay, that's a good place to start. That's a good first step for us to have, you know, be exposed to understand the process and so on. So in 2014, um, Jose and Oseda came to Grenada to look at our artists. They were scouting for, you know, who to invite to the Biennale. And so he came, he stayed with us for a week. He visited artists, he gave excellent criticism. And we talked a lot about process. And so none of our artists were chosen for the next Cuban Biennale. In fact, this year is the first time a Grenada artist has been chosen for Cuba. But in the meantime, we were like, well, we can't just leave it there back in 2014. We have to pursue what else might be available? And, you know, Venice always looks like this huge pipe dream. It looks impossible. The, the walls look as high as a fortress as how to get in there. And they're not very transparent with the system. They don't, you know, tell you this is how you do it. But fortunately, after about 100 emails to different curators and um, organizers, I started to get an inkling of the process. And so in 2015, we were accepted as a national pavilion. And like you said, it is a national hierarchy. But the advantage of that is that it's also a national privilege. So if you are a country and your government gives you um, the signed letter asking to be invited, you can be invited. And in 2015, we were. And so we took the group that had shown for the Grenada Contemporary in 2014. We started with that. We didn't try to do another call, but you know, we started with that group and we said, These, this will be the core for the presentation in Venice. So you asked how the first time was, mm-hmm. it was scary. And they say, if, you're, if your dreams don't scare you, they're not big enough. We were scared. We didn't know what to expect. We didn't know the protocol. Um, but we had partners from Italy who worked with us, who showed us the ropes, who, you know, and it was a small pavilion. It was a toe in the water, but it was our first. And from there, we've shown in the Art Biennale, this will be our fourth time, and last year we did architecture. So that's okay. it in a nutshell. Yeah, yeah, you know that's exciting. I know, I know. Um, uh, for the Ghana, the first Ghana um, pavilion, I, I met the curator of that, and just the overwhelm yeah. and the sheer work and the logistics. Um, and people have pushed me to like, you know, oh, Jamaica should be at Venice, and I'm a bit like, yeah, okay, but I, I don't know if I can pull that off. It's just such a production. It's so expensive. It I mean, how do you? Yes. Right. So how do you? How does? I mean, I hope this is a question that you don't mind me asking. But in terms of funding, how does how does the pavilion um, manage that? 
I mean, well, it, it is very expensive, no doubt. But yeah. the other side of it is it's seven months. I mean, when you think of what it costs to go to an art fair to pay for the booth and everything mm-hmm. for one weekend, you know, balanced against that, it's not really any more expensive. Um, so I have to say that supporters, you know, um, at first, um, our Ministry of Culture didn't understand what it was really. And so they were a bit reluctant, but every time they have contributed more and more and private individuals have contributed. I mean, once the train has left the station, everybody wants to jump on. So we still work within a very limited budget, but we can do it. And, you know, it's teamwork. It's more than one entity saying, you know, this is mine. It's all of us working together to make it happen. And I, you know, truly believe Jamaica can do it. Absolutely. Um, (laughs) Yes, I know. There's there's no doubt that the artists are, you know, working at that international level. It's Mm -hmm. just a matter of biting the bullet and, you know, going forward. So in terms of um, this dispensation, which is the fifth and the first fully commissioned pavilion, um, what are your plans? Um, what's the plan? What, one, who's in the team? And um, how are you curating this pavilion and who's involved? And the, pandemic, the pandemic was just a really, really difficult obstacle for us. And so usually we have sent out an open call you know, for Mm -hmm. artists to send their proposals. Um, And then we have a show, we have a contemporary show and you see what the completed work looks like. And then we choose the artists from that presentation. So the last contemporary show we had was in 2019. So for, you know, going forward, we were just like, we can't, we just can't follow this, um, this pattern for, for this time. And so we put together a collective of mature artists and um, did Zoom meetings for a year and a half to talk about the process, to talk about the theme, to talk about what and how we were going to show. So the collective Mm -hmm. is um, Billy Gerard Frank, who's a filmmaker. I'll talk about his film in a minute. Um, Oliver Benoit, who's an abstract artist who is a sociologist. So he always uses his sociology in his painting. Um, Asher Maines, who is, uh, he has been a realist in his painting, but he is veering away from that now to do um, installation work. Um, His work is entitled Empathy of Place. Uh, And then we have, um, who else, two guys who this is their first appearance at Biennale. They're working together. It was to be a performance. Uh, Ian Friday, who is a DJ, um, he is associated with the Colored Girls Museum of Philadelphia. And um, Samuel Ogilvie, who is actually a Renaissance man, actor, musician, videographer. And the two of them were going to do a performance together. And because of COVID, again, the performance has turned into a video. So working around the theme of the very particular note of Shakespeare mass in Karakou, which happens at carnival time every year. It's a very long and old tradition. 
where two characters dress up in costumes and they quote Shakespeare to each other. And if one makes a mistake, the other one's allowed to lash him with a piece of, it's called a bull pistol. And really? so, yes. And so it often turns into a big fight, but surrounded by villagers watching. And this has been going on for decades, generations. And, and the person I failed to mention in the collective is Angus Martin. And Angus is our historian. And um, he has done extensive research into the practice of Shakespeare masks, the costumes. It has its origin in West Africa, in France, in England, in Scotland, uh, in the plantation system, in the education system. And it is just, it is just a fascinating ritual. And we've sort of delved into all the aspects of it. And we're still learning. So not on in the collective, but who, but who has been significantly contributing is Rena Mills in Caracol. And she is um, a cultural officer there, but she has been very, she's, a, she's from Caracol itself. And her father was a Shakespeare mass man. And so um, she's been helping significantly with the research on that. And of course, you know, COVID, we had all hoped to be able to go and spend some time in Karakou and do, you know, primary mm -hmm. interviews. And every time we planned to go, there would be another spike and it would, you know, squash the plan. So at the end of it all, we, we are going to take the exhibition to Karakou and show it there. Oh, fantastic. So it's yeah. going to go full circle. That, I think that's really important, especially when we it's... Do too. A, yeah, we do too. that's really important. Are you going to document that return? Yes. Yes, we will. And fantastic. we will have some of the real guys who are now mostly old men. We will have some of the real guys perform as well at that iteration. Um, can I ask you also, so um, will there be online streaming of how the Grenada Pavilion um, is exhibiting the work, the performance features, et cetera. Are you going to have any kind of we programming? Will, it will not be, it will not be um, in real time. Um, Internet in Venice is very spotty. Right. So the streaming part of it, we did, we've tried it before. We've done it before and it's just been very unsatisfactory. And so we'll, you know, we'll record and put it on the, um, on the website after the event. Excellent. And in terms of writing, the kind of scholarship around the event and the culture and the kind of ways in which artists are working with that material, um, is there going to be any kind of publication produced? Yes, that, not that, a will be in the, that will it's be in the catalog, which okay. we will make available online. And then um, that part of it is done already, um, but we will add to it to add pictures um, of the actual, you know, setup in Venice and have it available. Yes. Great. Which is, and you know, it's just so important for the, for the documentation of Caribbean work because we just don't have enough. We don't have enough for people to look at, for scholars to explore, you know, so. Yeah. It's one of our regional issues, you know, is. I mean, you know, in our conversations over the, the past couple of months, and certainly I'm sure once we've all had it in other, other spaces, is the, um, the lack of documentation and history making in, in several of the smaller islands, like Cuba, Haiti, Jamaica. I mean, we're quite well, a Dominican Republic. Yeah. Um, but as, as the islands get smaller, it becomes more challenging. And it really is about 
um, institutional support, government yes, yes. support, being able to, you know, enable that. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to ask as well, if people want to follow uh, the work around the pavilion and stuff, where do they go to, which handles are you using on um, IG? Our, our website is GrenadaVenice.com. The IG is Grenada Pavilion Venice. Facebook, Grenada Pavilion Venice. So, you know, a little search, we're pretty easy to find. Great. Melissa, Maria, do you have any questions for Susan in, in light of what we've discussed? Too. Um, you mentioned that you had government support. Did it take time to cultivate mm-hmm. that support or yes. were you just blessed enough to have it? And if it took time, what did you do to, to finesse that and make that happen? I talk all the time. <laughs> <laughs> it takes constant reminders and constant emails saying, um, look, this is what we're doing now, you know, releases to our local newspapers and radio stations. And um, it's awareness, you know, awareness, first of all, what the Venice Biennale even is, and then awareness of that Grenada is making an impact in the world by being there. And then, of course, sometimes you have a change in government or in the, you know, the local institutions and somebody comes who doesn't have a clue and you have to start all over again. So yes, it does take time. Congratulations on making this happen. Then I'm sure that that took took an enormous amount of of resources and time to make sure that you were able to actually bring those artists to such a, a distinctive platform. Oh, thank you so much. And, you know, I'm not doing it by myself. Like I said, the artists are pushing forward together. And then we also have, you know, some supporters who are not artists, but who just see the value of having art as a part of our daily lives in our society. And they, too, have been extremely supportive. I mean, this past time with the pandemic, people just didn't have, you know, business has, you know, essentially come to a halt. And the hotel sector had been very um, supportive in the past. And this year they had nothing, less than nothing to give. But nonetheless, you know, their support is being on the team is just so essential. So, yes, thank you. I have, you know, just have to give credit to everybody. It's not a one woman show. I wanted to echo Melissa's uh, sentiment um, and just congratulate you um, on your leadership because it just takes a lot of strength also to get everybody together to believe and to to create such a wonderful story and such a wonderful impact that not only this pavilion has for Grenada, but the Caribbean in general, Mm -hmm. because I think it puts the region on the map. Thank you. Um, I, you know, part of our strategy is to help develop Grenada's um, art scene from the outside in. So we develop networks with people and with artists and with curators on the outside and then bring them to Grenada to help us grow and to give our young people something to aspire to. And um, it's really not a plan just to aggrandize artists. It's a plan to grow Grenada. No, congratulations, Susan. And a fifth year in a row. Well, I'm very impressed. (laughs) <laughs> and it's wonderful to see it kind of be commissioned and become, you know, 
part of the a more official kind of process around well, it's the been official since the beginning since mm -hmm. 2015 it was an official uh national pavilion i i don't know where it started out that somebody said it's you know grenade is there but it's not official it has been a national official national pavilion from the first time thank you so much susan for being with us um and giving us all that insight into what's happening and people know where to follow you now to follow um, the actual implementation and it's due to open when is it when is the um, opening april 22nd so looming um, looming yes yeah. we have to go and get it set up um and the location is um on garibaldi which is a main street right outside alley yeah, yeah. It's a beautiful beautiful space so we're really looking forward to inviting people in to experience our little bit of Grenada. It's wonderful to be so central as well. Venice is very hard to get a space, oh. you know, in the in the hub of it. Venice yeah. is it's a maze and a museum. And you could be headed one direction and your eyes get attracted by something and all of a sudden you're wrapped up into another maze. So yeah. or you get the wrong river bus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're hard to use. <laughs> the, the Biennale map. I mean, that's what people always say. Well, how do we find you? I said, get the Biennale map. We'll be on the map and you'll find us there. Uh, because to try to explain to people how to navigate Venice is impossible. Mm -hmm. well, it is. I plan to be there unless anything changes. So I'm looking forward to seeing it. Excellent. So happy to hear that. That's exciting, Maria. Are you going over for the opening or the preview? Yes, I'm planning to go for the opening if, you know, nothing changes yeah, if with nothing the world, happens. you know, <laughs> exactly. yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm threading with caution, but, yes. you know, hopefully it works out. Yeah, it's close enough, I, I, you know, and there seems to be less and less kind of roller coaster rides around travel and access these days in the past couple of months, especially. So I'm hoping, you know, I'm sure it will go ahead as planned. Well, congratulations again, Susan. And we really look Thank forward so to much. seeing it all come together. And we'll be following you on social media. And I have to tell you, um, Suzanne, that, you know, we really appreciate um, your input from Jamaica because Jamaica in the past has been a little insular and, you know, not really recognizing things that happen from particularly the small islands. So we re I really appreciate your interest and your support. It means a lot to us. Oh, a pleasure. And it's us, us as a team, you know, and we really want to be inclusive and give all the voices out there, you know, validity and, and visibility. It's really important. It is. It is. So we're all on a thank you for the work that we do. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Susan, thanks very much. Good luck, thank and we'll you. talk to you soon. Okay. Thank you. See you in Venice. Bye. See you. Bye. Bye. All right, ladies, we're going to wrap this up. Um, so Maria, I'm so excited that you're going to Venice. Tell us all about it, all the juicy details. I want to go. And oh. so we have someone who went there, and one of the things that came up, like, this is a, a crazy side note. So one of the crazy things I heard is that the food in Venice is terrible, which is crazy to me. I'm like, it's Italy. What are you talking about? Um, yeah, that is not true. The food in Venice is not, not terrible. terrible. Oh, stay strong. I was going to say, it was fabulous. Yeah. And, it, and, you know, you can also go across. I mean, we stayed in, in Murano. So you can get a riverboat across to Murano, which is an island which takes you out of like the 
the the throngs of you know Venice for the Biennale, and it was fabulous. I mean, I would yeah, advise yeah. staying in Murano and getting the boat over in the morning, and then going back in the evening. <laughs> That's, that would be yeah, my the advice. The food is terrible around San Marco, where they cater for British tourists, right. and it's a British menu. There, the food is terrible. But if you get into the real Venice, the food is fabulous. So, and that was the story that I was told. So they were like, "There's um, go where the locals eat," and they said the food is fantastic. So yeah. as soon as I yeah. get the names, I'm going to share them with all of you and Maria, you too. So, um, congratulations on your trip. We're really excited. But before we go, Maria, where can we find you on social media? You can find me on the gram at Contemporary Chica. I love it. She's like on the gram. Okay, <laughs> Susie, where can we find you? You can find me on the gram. Okay. Um, at <laughs> <Okay. Presents. laughs> There you and, go. And of course, Sugarcane Magazine at Sugarcane Magazine on Instagram or visit the website sugarcanemag.com. Thank you for joining us. We are looking forward to talking to you next week. Um, please, before we go, Make sure that you give us all of the likes and shares and sub sub subscriptions. Make sure that you subscribe, have your friends subscribe, leave us a bunch of stars, 20, 50,000, however many you're supposed to leave, all of that good stuff. We'd love to have you. Have a great week, everyone. Bye, Bye. everybody. <laughs>